appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to you on this beautiful Mother's Day. Mother's Day is celebrated across the world in more than 50 countries, though not all countries celebrate it in the same, on the same day. There were various ones that were instrumental in suggesting a day to celebrate mothers. In 1872, the first recorded American Mother's Day was organized by Julia Ward Howe, the writer of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as a national holiday in honor of mothers. And so here we are today, 104 years later, honoring our mothers. And I want to give high honor to our very dear bishop's wife, Sister Rachel Cole. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders that, yes, let's stand. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. And I was always taught that we stand to our feet. So let's stand to our feet. Let's join together as we honor her. Sister Cole is the living example of the proverbial woman. I don't think I've ever met anyone who loves God and people more than she does. She has a heart full of humility, of servanthood, of compassion, a love for truth and righteousness. There are many who have joined the ranks of prayer warriors. Yes, Sister Cole is the general. <laughs> because she not only prays to God, but she also listens. And by the way, if you don't pray and listen, that's called a one-way conversation. But Sister Cole has a direct line to the commander-in-chief, so let's give a hand clap one more time. Sister Cole, we love you and we honor you today. Lord bless you. You may be seated. And I also want to honor and recognize our wonderful apostolic tabernacle ladies. As we celebrate each one of you, I'm also aware that on a day like today, there's joy and there's sadness. Some are missing their own dear mothers. I talked to some earlier today, and the memories came flooding back. Mothers who are no longer with them, and some are painfully aware of the empty place at the dinner table of a child who has gone beyond and gone before a parent. And that's not supposed to happen, is it? Or a dear sister who has grieved with empty arms and a place in her heart and home that has not yet been filled. That isn't supposed to happen either. But I give honor to you today because I see how the love and nurturing instinct that God placed inside women has overflowed into those in need around them. Through adoption, becoming incredible aunties, mamas, and grandmas, showing that God truly creates beauty from ashes, and he turns our mourning into joy. With a heart full of gratitude, I honor my precious mother today. I thank the Lord that I was so blessed to be the daughter of Janine Smith. My mother, my mother has been my role model. She was a student of the word. She taught me truth and wisdom. She taught me how to keep a home to make a place of refuge for my family. She taught me how to love my husband. I remember one day, and I'd only been married a few months, and see, I married my assistant pastor. When my husband and I were dating, he was an evangelist. Oh, but this is good, you're gonna like this. Okay. He, he was an evangelist, and then he was asked to come as assistant pastor, and we were already communicating, you know, slow mail back in those days. In fact, I'll just have to tell you this. Um, 
<laughs> it was not 1811. I'll have to tell you this. Um, Pastor had a really smooth line. He was really good. Now, I, I was not as much into, I, I didn't work with the toddlers and the babies so much, but I was into the primary age, and I was a Sunday school teacher. And I had a, I had a children's choir, Sister Rachel. I had a children's choir. I had a good size, about 50 kids back in that day, wasn't it? And it was really exciting. And in the church, I was Sister Rebecca to everybody. And so uh, he was an evangelist, and he came through, and he had a mother and sisters who had just come to the Lord. Now, when I saw them in the church, I had no idea that they had an evangelist son who was out preaching because they were new converts. A good-looking son, yes, really good-looking son. And so, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> So I'll, I'll never forget all of a sudden him coming up to me after the service. And he had uh, a, his arm around his two little blonde-headed sisters, and they were quite a bit younger. They were in my junior choir. And he goes, Sister Rebecca, uh, you know, I'm evangelizing, and I travel all over the country, and, and sometimes I really get some really good music. Yeah, that's what he did. I get some really good music. Would you be interested in me sending it to you? <laughs> Smooth. Guys, take some, yeah, okay. Take some lessons. It worked. <laughs> and that's how we started writing. So he came and he uh, became the assistant pastor. And at that time we were already. And when uh, Brother Bob McCool asked him when he came, he says, what are your intentions towards Sister Rebecca? He said, I intend to marry her. And so I heard that through the grapevine before he told me that, too. <laughs> uh, and so I intended for that to happen. See, I was working. You didn't know, but I was working that all out, too. So. <laughs> but my mother taught me how to love my husband. I remember we hadn't been married very long, and we lived in an apartment in West Memphis, and my mother lived across the bridge in Memphis. And she called one morning. She says, honey, I'd like to come over and see you this morning. I go, hmm, okay, that's great. I'd love for my mom to come and see me, but usually I went to see her. And so she came, to the she came to the door, and she didn't have that look like I normally got from my mom since I was an adult. I mean, my mom loves me a whole, 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 whole lot. I mean, a lot. I mean, my mom really loves me. I got a lot of positive affirmation from my mom, but when my mom came to the door, her expression kind of reminded me back of my teenage days when, you know, and so I was a little nervous, and she came in, she sat down, and she goes, well, honey, I, I'm going to tell you something. I've been thinking and I've been praying, and I felt like the Lord told me that I need to come and talk to you, and I observed this and this and this and this and, and a few things, and I think you need to watch yourself in your spirit and your attitude because you, I'm seeing a few things I think you need to work on. You need to make sure you're loving your husband and you respect your husband. And you know what I did? I said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Because my mother had by example, and she taught me how to love my husband. I'm thankful that I was raised by Janine Smith. She taught me that my relationship with God affected my relationships with my family and that love, true love, comes from him. She taught me how to love my children, how to teach them with love and set boundaries and discipline in their lives, all that and so much more, and I honor her today. And I honor my dear daughter in loves. 
that are here today who are now devoted mothers with the same values that I cherish. And it is such a joy to share life with them. I love you so much. And lastly, my three sons who have made me a mother. I have absolutely loved being their mother because I am the mother of sons. I learned to fish. Well, I learned how to hold a fishing pole and eat Snicker bars and drink Diet Coke in the boat. I didn't put worms on or take fish off. I helped teach them to walk, read, do math, and yes, even algebra. <laughs> I helped teach them to drive and went into intercessory prayer when they took their first solo drive. I happily turned my living room into the band practice room with a full set of drums, electric, bass, guitars, acoustic guitars, while I made gallons of iced tea and chocolate chip cookies for all the guys. I truthfully, now that's a very important word, truthfully ooed and awed over all their first songwriting attempts. I heard the first ones. I've got some videos I bet you'd love to see. <laughs> I always knew where they were sitting in church, even in a congregation of 1,500 people and watch for their response in the altar. I even walked very discreetly to the front row of this large church to quietly motion to a son who was talking on the front row of the church during preaching. <laughs> you know they never did that again. <laughs> It wasn't. <laughs> I fussed at them when their rooms weren't clean. I set up at night to make sure they were home by curfew. And I am so proud of the men they have become, of the truth that they hold dear, of the life that they live, and I blame them for every gray hair that I have. <laughs> I want to talk about motherhood today. Motherhood is an experiment. Okay, new moms, I'm looking. I see you out there. Okay. All right, this is for you. Motherhood is an experiment in how long your body can function without adequate sleep or nourishment and fed only on adrenaline, coffee, and baby smiles. Can I get a big amen from those mothers? <laughs> or are you too tired? Motherhood is not a hobby. It is a calling. I'm going to say that again. Motherhood is not a hobby. It's not even a part-time job. It is a calling. It's not something you clock in and out of. It's not something you do if you can squeeze the time in. It's what God gave you time for. The natural state of motherhood is unselfishness. When you become a mother, you're no longer the center of your own universe. You relinquish that position to your children. And, Pastor, you stepped all over my fun one. I'm going to say it again because I like it really well, okay? All right. A mother is a person who's seen there are only four pieces of pie for five people, promptly announces she never did care for pie. Isn't that true? How many moms can attest to that? Yes, yes, okay. Now, what are qualifications for mothers? You know what? You have to have maybe eight arms, right? 
Sister Rachel, can you testify you need eight arms right now? Uh-huh. Eight, yes. And, and Sister Davis, great-grandma over here, she's been, she's been doing it. She knows all about it. Takes a lot of arms. you got to have, what, four, six eyes, front and the back of your head. Yes, you have to have a, a uh, not six senses, but seventh, because you have to sense danger <laughs> and all kinds of things. Uh, you got to have nerves to steel. So many qualifications. You know, mothers that um, we could be CEOs because of the organization skills that it takes to be a mother. Motherhood can produce an unusual phenomenon causing restrained, generally humble, and modest parents. Modest adults to need to ask their child to quote every Bible scripture and every poem they know at family dinners. <laughs> to my son's dismay, every time their grandparents would visit, I would insist that they get out their instruments <laughs> and give a concert. Grandmotherhood can be motherhood on steroids. Do I have any grandmothers out there? As a young person, I would go to visit my grandparents in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and often I was asked to sing at the church. But after some time, I made a discovery. My grandmother was sending notes to the pastor requesting that her granddaughter sing. <laughs> I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, felt the same way. At the marriage in Canaan of Galilee, they ran out of wine. John 2, 3 tells us of the dilemma. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus answered basically saying, and this is my paraphrase, Pastor, if I'm wrong, y'all fix it later, okay? It's really not my problem because it's not my time. Is that all right? Okay. Now, Jesus was a grown man, and Mary deferred to her son. But she knew who her son was. She knew. Moms just know. So her response was just wonderful. She just said to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Is that pretty good? I like it. I'm going to say it again. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. <laughs> and you know the rest of the story. Jesus turned the water into wine. The first miracle of his earthly ministry. It wasn't a miracle of necessity. It wasn't life or death. It wasn't to feed hunger. I like to think that even Jesus listened to his mother. Even in his suffering, Jesus showed his love and devotion to his mother. John chapter 19, verses 26 through 27 reads, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took unto her, took her unto his own home. He loved his mother. He showed his devotion, even in times of suffering, that he was going to make sure that his mother was provided for, that his mother was cared for. He passed the responsibility, this is now your son. The Bible is full of examples of the incredible love and influence of a mother. Imagine the fierce love that Jochebed, the mother of Moses, felt as she risked the wrath of Pharaoh as she hid her newborn for three months. Because of a mother who had the strength to go against the culture, 
to protect her child, that very child became the deliverer of the children of Israel. He led them into the promised land. In 1 Kings, there is a mother. We don't even know her name. She's known as the widow of Zarephath. But we know that she obeyed the commandment of God because God told Elijah he had commanded a widow woman in Zarephath to sustain him. And sure enough, as Elijah came to the gates of the city, he saw her gathering sticks for her last meal. Her last meal for herself and for her son. She only had a handful of meal and a little oil. But when Elijah asked her to make him a little cake first, to feed the prophet first, she had already heard from God. Because the scripture says he had commanded a woman. He had commanded the widow. So she obeyed that commandment, and she fed the prophet, even though she said, I just had this little meal, and I had this oil, and I was going to prepare a cake for my son and I, and then we are going to die. But she obeyed, and she prepared that for the prophet. And such an incredible miracle happened because when she obeyed and fed the prophet, God blessed her with meal and oil. That was enough, and it never went dry. It never went empty until the drought upon the land ended. Such an incredible blessing. Such an incredible blessing. But the story doesn't end there about that widow because one day her son grew ill and died. But that prophet that she fed, see, she had developed a relationship, hadn't she? That prophet that she fed, when her son died, who did she go to? She went to that prophet. And she said, my son has died. And the Bible tells us how he went and the prophet took and he prayed and he sought God and he cried unto the Lord. And the Bible says that the soul of the child came into him again. This mother's obedience to the commandment of God saved her children. Mothers, our obedience to the commandment of God will save our children. Mothers. If we can't get it right for ourselves, what about trying to get it right so our children can be saved? We have children that are our responsibility. When we bear a child into this world, that is not... I, I read a little quote the other day. It said, if you want a plaything, get a puppy. Because babies aren't playthings. They're living souls. And we have a responsibility Let's obey the commandments of God so our children can be saved. How important it is that we as mothers are, are obedient to the Lord. Our children don't listen to as much as what we say. Because, you know, words, have you ever seen it? Just But they watch what we do. They watch what we do. So our obedience to God will help save our children. And then, of course, the wonderful description of the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. She was trustworthy industrious, wise, and kind. She takes good care of her children and her family. She's charitable. The Bible says that she was enterprising. She even knew how to go, and she had, a, she had good business sense. She, knew, she, she bought a field, and she planted a vineyard, and she was a wise woman. She had so many different attributes, and yet the prevalent thing throughout it is that she had honor, she had dignity, she was virtuous, and she cared for the needs of her household and her husband. Did you know that is what a virtuous woman does first? First. Everything else comes after that. Now, it's been stated that Satan has declared war on motherhood. He knows that those who rock the cradle can rock 
his earthly empire. And he knows that without godly mothers loving and leading the next generation, godly principles and truths will not guide our children's lives. How it impacts our culture and our society. 104 years, that was a long time ago. Motherhood, 104 years ago, when it was declared a national holiday, motherhood was such an honored calling. The vital importance of a woman dedicating herself to the raising of strong children with godliness and integrity was recognized and honored. Abraham Lincoln and George Washington both attributed to their success in life to their mother. Godly mothers shaping the minds and hearts of their children produced a great country. So, Satan began war on motherhood. It's going to get heavy for a little bit, okay? But I feel in my spirit, I've got to say this. Yes, as in every culture, there were things that needed fixed. Women needed equal rights, and a movement began to help to right the wrongs, and many things were corrected. This movement began in waves and became known as the feminist movement. There were those whose motives were not so pure as equal rights. But we're slowly starting to erode the incredible, powerful influence of a mother. Do you feel like that your influence as a mother is being eroded in our culture? How many of you have your kids in public school and they're being taught things that you do not agree with, values that go against you? Yes, yes. It's all through our culture now. So first he started demeaning the calling and influence of a mother. He painted motherhood as brain-numbing, unskilled menial work that made women unattractive, unfulfilled, and boring to her husband. Read the books. He painted a picture luring women into the ideal of self-fulfillment, the me generation, instead of building a home for our children. He made it more important to build a nicer house for our children. Thus, latchkey children were born who entertained themselves in the afternoon. Then, since kids are entertaining themselves so much, they needed more things to entertain themselves with, and so more money is needed. The family dinner table sits empty since the schedule is too tight working for, it's getting quiet in here. Do you feel it? The family dinner table sits empty since the schedule is too tight, working for, more, for, working for more money to buy more things that fast, through, through, fast food through the car and the family dinner table sits empty. Family time around a table, even if it's eating your fast food at a table. I'm not talking about what you put on the table as much as I'm talking about the table. Family time around a table at the end of the day, feeling for the pulse of your children. How was their day? Sharing fun experiences, letting the stresses of the day diminish by reconnecting to the most important things, your children and your family, teaching moments lost, warm, secure feelings when dad or mom or the siblings take turns praying over the meal because we're being programmed that we need bigger and better. 
And of course, Satan knew that semantics matter. Words matter. It must be appealing and sanitized and the impact minimized. Thus the words, women's choice. The politically correct way to say a woman's choice to murder her baby. To make the life of a child an inconvenience that can be eliminated. But of course, Satan always paints a beautiful picture. But it is always a lie. Just think about the billboards that you've seen with the really rugged guy up there and he's advertising the cigarettes and he's got this rugged look and, and, it's, and he's got that cigarette hanging out of his mouth but it isn't showing, oh, 20 years, 30 years later, it doesn't show him when he's on the oxygen machine and he can't breathe and he's got lung cancer and emphysema and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't show that but that's the real picture, folks. That's the real picture. Or what about the billboards with the, or the advertisements with the glamorous woman up against a car with a cocktail in her hand? You know, oh, oh, they're painting such a picture of such joy and happiness and just think this will make you look like this, Jezebel, and it'll do that and all that kind of stuff. And so all that up there and, and then, but you know what the real picture is? You know what the real picture is? Okay, just go on 75 and look at some of the drunken driving that's going on and the cars and the police officers that are having to pull them out. And look at the ones that are, that are uh, they're closet drinkers now and they're pulling it out and they're, they're really alcoholics now, those kinds of things. That's what it really is. That is the lie that Satan tries to paint and make it a beautiful and a glamorous thing, but it is not a beautiful and a glamorous thing. Dr. Philip G. Ney, head of the Department of Psychiatry at Royal Jubilee Hospital in Canada, has outlined some psychological mechanisms showing how abortion leads directly to child abuse. Now, we've known for a long time that it does affect a mom. Yes, yes, yes. It does affect a mom. No matter what, in the quite the, the impact on what it does to a mother is so painful and so damaging. They've been fed a lie. They were told it wouldn't hurt anything. It wouldn't hurt them. They've been fed a lie. So many young women have been fed lies by this society, and they've walked into something unknowing. But let me read this. Abortion decreases an individual's instinctual restraint against the occasional rage felt toward those dependent on his or her care. Permissive abortion diminishes the taboo against aggressing against the defenseless. Abortion increases the hostility between generations. Abortion has devalued children, thus diminishing the value of caring for our children. Abortion increases guilt and self-hatred, which the parent takes out on the children. Abortion increases hostile frustration, intensifying the battle of the sexes for which children are scapegoated. Abortion cuts the developing mother-infant bond, thereby, thereby diminishing her future mothering capability. But today, I am here to declare that the women of Apostolic Tabernacle, we will not listen to the voices of our culture that demean and devalue our sisterhood of motherhood. At our watch night service as our women met in our dining hall, an incredible spirit of prayer and intercession started this year off. And it swept through and was carried into the sanctuary that we will be a sisterhood of motherhood. 
we, we will recognize the challenges that we faced and we older women will endeavor to teach our younger women how to love their husbands and their children. Now I want to qualify that by saying we older women will endeavor to teach. You younger women need to open your ears up and learn some things. Okay? Because you can teach it all day long. But if you don't open up your ears and you won't allow somebody to speak into your life, then your pathway will not be happy. Listen to those. God had a plan. Titus told us about it. God had a plan for the older women to speak into the lives of our younger women. And so we women, we will commit. We are going to teach. We are going to live by example. And we're going to teach our women how to love their husbands and children. And we're going to celebrate our motherhood. We're going to strive to grow into stronger women and our relationship stronger with God. So our influence will be godly. And as the musicians come, I'm coming to a close now. Motherhood is such a powerful influence. It has been said that sometimes the strength of mother motherhood is greater than natural laws. And I can really relate to that. Sometimes the strength of motherhood is greater than natural laws. I remember holding my newborn baby, just about two days old, brand new mom, and the room was quiet. I remember very clearly, very vivid memory, just me and my baby. I remember a feeling that started from the top of my head to the sole of my feet. It was an intense feeling. I'd never felt anything like it before a fierce protectiveness that swept over me. Now you have to understand, I was not born with muscles. I struggled to hold a gallon of milk. Now how I hold grandbabies, it's the fierceness of motherhood and grandmotherhood is the only thing I can say. Because I still have a hard time carrying the gallons of, of milk in. You know, it's just, you know, so a fierceness and a protectiveness, that was something, you know, my husband and, and my dad did for me, you know. I. I didn't, I didn't have those feelings. You know, I went and hid behind him, and he took care of everything, you know, so. <laughs> but it came over me, a very, very, very strong feeling. And I felt like I could run through a troop. I could leap over a wall. I could fight lions and tigers and bears, and lions and tigers and bears, and lions and tigers and bears. And I would die before I would let any harm come to my baby. And I'm gonna tell you what, that feeling has never left me. Can I hear some mothers out there? That feeling never leaves us, does it? No. So what does that feeling do, that instinct, that God-given love, what does that do in our hearts? God gives it to women to enable us to handle the sleep deprivation the physical challenges, the ability to distinguish our child's cry in a crowd, to nurse a sick child through the night, to look into the eyes of your child and know when all is well or when you will have a sleepless night thinking and praying for answers. It's a God-given love that doesn't fade when the teen, teen years come and your cuddly child becomes prickly and challenging. Okay, moms of teenagers, because they're sitting near you, you can say that amen silently. Okay. It's that God-given strength that helps you say no with love and compassion and then say yes as many times as you can. 
It's that God-given strength that drives her mother to get them up early on a Sunday morning, brings them to prayer, brings them to Sunday school, then comes home and has some type of dinner, comes back that night because you know what? God speaks in another time. You know, he doesn't only speak on Sunday mornings. Did you know that? Isn't that amazing? I mean, God speaks on Sunday morning. He speaks on Sunday night around here too. We have worship Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's, it's that love, that God-given strength that comes in after a hard day and says, I'm going to get the kids to kids' chapel on Wednesday night because I know that the world has them five days a week, seven days a week. And I'm going to get them into the house of God every time I can because I want strength, truth to be spoken into my children. I'm going to say something, and I don't mean it to sound harsh, but it breaks my heart when I hear parents and their children are now raised, and they've looked and they see some difficult times, and they say, well, I raised them in the church. And then I can go back and say, well, but you know what? I don't say it now. See, I, I won't say it then. But where were you on Wednesday night? When there was something prepared for your children. Where were you on Sunday night when our children, last Sunday night our children were up here weeping before the Lord. Do your children not need that? I'm going to tell you what, my children needed that. Do you know what it will produce if you'll make those things happen? It will produce children that love God. It takes work, moms. It takes work. You don't just work to feed them. You don't just work to give them a home. You work the most important thing you'll do is to work to instill the word of God and a love for it. I pray this prayer over all of our children and I pray this prayer over my children from the time they were tiny. Lord, there are so many voices out there. So many voices. Lord, please help them listen to the right voices. God, please help my children to listen to the right voices. Let them have a heart like, like they, a heart that longs for the things of God. Let their heart, let their heart long for it. Let them desire righteousness. Let them long for those things. It's that love that keeps you on your knees, knowing that when it's all said and done, no matter how gifted you are, and we have some incredibly gifted mothers, no matter how industrious you are, and no matter how many fields you buy and sell, whatever way that you help take care of your family, no matter how charitable you are to others, remember that the most important work you will ever do will be within the walls of your own home. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. All right, Mom, we're going to pray for our families right now. If you've got a mother here, get right as close as you can to them. If you've got a family, I want you to get as close as you can to your family. Let's bow our heads together. If you don't have family, I want you to look around and see if you can adopt somebody right now. Just pull them into your family circle there. That's it. Let's gather around. Mom, maybe your aunt's here. Reach over. Let's pray for one another right now. Can we bow our heads together and let's pray right now. Father, thank you for the wonderful word of the Lord that we've heard today. Father, thank you for homes that are 
seeking the face of God, that are seeking after you, Lord, and are crying out like Hannah and saying, Oh God, I want to give my life, Lord, to the cause of my family. And I thank you for every mother, Lord. I pray for help. Some mothers right now, Lord, are beginning to see how valuable it is, Lord, to get as close to God as possible. And so I pray for them today. Lord, I pray for the grandmothers. I pray for the saints of God that have given their lives, Lord, to be sure that righteousness prevails in their homes. And Lord, I pray and I come against every force that would dare to defy the God of heaven. I come in the name of Jesus today on behalf of every mother, every grandmother, every home. And I thank you because the Holy Ghost is in this place. Lord, bless each one. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you are, Lord, the Father to the fatherless. You are able to help each one today, wherever they are. And Lord, we give you praise for it. May this day be blessed and keep your hand upon it, each one. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. Everyone said, in Jesus' name.